For CJLO News, I'm Patricia Pizzi-Liang. Algonquian leaders testified at the Quebec inquiry into the treatment of Indigenous people on Tuesday. According to CBC News, Indigenous people face severe discrimination as they are treated differently because of the color of their skin and are frequently denied public services such as health care in English instead of French. The hearings will continue for the rest of this week. Alberta's Justice Minister Kathleen Ganley apologized to the mother of a young Indigenous survivor of sexual assault who had been severely abused by Canada's justice system. According to CTV News, the young woman was shackled at the legs during court hearings, was locked inside of the same police van as her attacker, and was forced to remain in jail while her attacker was roaming free. The 27-year-old survivor was unfortunately killed in an unrelated shooting, and Lance Blanchard was convicted of several counts of sexual assault following her death. Attacks on the Iranian parliament and Ayatollah Khomeini's mausoleum in Tehran have killed at least 12 people and injured 40 others on Wednesday morning. According to BBC News, Iranian officials were able to prevent a third attack from happening. This has been the most serious case of terrorism in Tehran since the early 1980s. To hear the newscast and learn more about the news team, visit cjlo.com news. This has been a CJLO production. What's up, everybody? Geektastic Cypher, CJLO 1690 AM, Doc Holiday in the studio, running solo. I know, heartbreaking. The boys are all out being busy. Shout out to Skinny, who is celebrating his birthday today. Uh, we all went out for his birthday and partied like rock stars. It was fun. Is uh, he got a little? He got a little tips, you know, as you do on your birthday, which is fair. I mean, I can't front on the guy for having a good time. Which uh, and it was fun. It was fun to watch. And then uh, Toby is being a caring partner, and is uh, if I'm not mistaken, at home taking care of uh, his girlfriend because she. I'm not sure what happened. The if I think she had. Uh, Oh, I don't want to go too much into their details, but he's being a, a thoughtful and caring partner and being by her side, and that's all good. Nothing negative. She's fine. He just said that he is going to be with her tonight, so shout-outs to Tobes. And then Jaws D, who, as you guys know, is not with us because he's always working because he got himself a cool new job. Actually, super cool job. He's doing some really cool things, and uh, I don't even think I'm supposed to talk about it, so I won't talk about it. But for the rest of you kids who are out there uh, and uh, enjoying the show, welcome back to another edition of Geektastic Cypher. I'm going to be discussing some geek news, and I'm super excited for this because I don't know about you guys, but I've been paying attention to all the geek sphere, and there's some pretty cool things going on, but none cooler than this. We are going to be having a Blurred Con. And for those of you who don't know what, what Blurred Con is, it's kind of hard to explain, and I actually want to wait till we get my guest on the line because I this is a, a discussion I wanted to have with them specifically because the word blurred has become quite popular recently, and I don't know if everyone knows what it what it is. So I feel like we're gonna have to wait till he's ready, and then we're gonna talk to him, and then we're gonna find out for people and get your two cents because. It's important that you guys really get into nerd-isms and blurred-isms and just in general geeking out. One of the things I wanted to talk about at the beginning of the show, because I've been doing it for a couple weeks and I finally finished it, so I'm going to get through this real fast because I, I, I don't want to bore the guys with it when they're on next week, is uh, Civil War II. I read through it and actually I kind of want to talk to Hilton about it. Hilton is the guest. He is the founder of and con chair for BlurredCon. And I actually want to talk to him about something I found a little unfortunate. How ma- Why did we have to sacrifice Rhodey for one of the worst stories in Marvel history? And why are we still dealing with this stuff? So I've been reading Civil War II, and I don't feel bad if I just spoiled uh, a part for you. We've already discussed this in the past. Um, James Rhodes passes away. Uh, the man known as War Machine. He is killed by Thanos in the comic book. And the whole idea behind Civil War is that there is a young man who can 
predict the future. Or at least Carol Danvers, who's Captain Marvel, would like to think that he's predicting the one and only future. Whereas Tony Stark believes he's predicting a possible future. And herein lies the argument for which their entire war is based on. And I gotta say, after getting to the end, it was the most anticlimactic comic book event I've ever read. It was, dare I say, lazy and poorly written in the end. Um, Carol Danvers never looked like she knew what she was doing. The entire time you're reading the story, you can tell that she really has no clue how to handle this situation. She's just constantly making poor decision after poor decision. Um, All her friends are dying around her. Uh, A lot of them are dying from mistakes that she's made. Uh, The whole idea behind it is she's using profiling, which is Ulysses is the character who has the powers. He he garners as much information as possible and then gives you a possible future. And that possible future is based on the, the information he's receiving. So... In the comic book, one of the main arguments they make is the fact that he is constantly seeing visions of what's going to happen in North America because most of the information that's surrounding him is from North America. At one point, they start giving him information from all over the world. But Tony makes the valid point of if we're feeding him this information, we're the gatekeepers because the people who are feeding him the information already have their own take on the information that's being fed to him. So it's influencing the story. And it's influencing the ideas that he has in his head. And from those ideas, he's creating a future. And then he tells them what he sees. Throughout the whole thing, he's constantly making mistakes. And I, it's hard to explain how he's making the mistakes. But essentially, every time he's predicting something, when Carol Danvers and her crew grow, go out and interact with people, they eventually lead to the thing happening. So when... In Air A-Force, which is the comic book that featured an all-female cast, which was really good, actually, and it's unfortunate that it got canceled. But in any case, when in that comic book, when she tells one of her members that you're going to kill some young girl and the member freaks out, the member ends up like disappearing to some small village and meeting that same girl she's going to kill. Had she not been scared off, she would have stayed in... New York and would have never been even encountered that person and it wouldn't have led to those ex- those things happening and that's what really sucks because a lot of the time that was a story the miss in Miss Marvel's comic with Kamala Khan half of the stuff that happened was because they were told this person's going to do XYZ and whenever they would go and confront that person it would lead to them doing it and predictive the predictive patterns were just bad and it was bad writing and that's what really sucks because Marvel who keeps saying they're going to stop doing these grand sweeping events keep doing them they said they weren't going to do one after secret empire but now they're doing venomverse which is just going to be another grand sweeping thing and they keep releasing pictures of all the different marvel characters as sim covered in symbiote in symbiotes and it's just kind of unfortunate that this is where they're going with it because instead of just taking the time to sit down and write really solid stories they're just running rampant and then they're unfortunately letting down the fans because when they're writing poor stories, the fans don't get the quality. They don't get a chance to get invested in these new characters that they are releasing. Uh, and their whole attempt at diversity looks shot because it's it has more to do with the fact that it comes across as fake and poorly written and too quick instead of just actually being something they could have organized and done properly. So that's my rant, guys. That's my rant at the top of the show. Uh, I mean... It's a little annoying because as a comic book fan and as someone like I got Marvel Unlimited so I could catch up on a lot of stories because I realized most of the stuff that I was reading was Marvel and I was actually really excited about it because I was just like, you know what? I love Marvel. I love the stuff that they do. But Civil War 2, man, it's weak. It's weak. It's really I, I mean, it's one of those things that I can honestly say I don't recommend. The only thing I could recommend in Civil War is Civil War Kingpin. Excellently written. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It was by far one of the most amazing things I've ever read. Uh, the whole Kingpin story, his anger, his his decision-making, his thought process, just the, the essence of who he is and why he does the things he does and how cunning and how well he's planned, that was super cool to see. Um, then Bucky's new team, the Thunderbolts, super interesting story. Uh, 
Kobix as a little kid who's on the team who has no real idea of the with the innocence of a child but the power of a god. Super interesting. Seeing Bucky act like a parent, knowing that he could just get killed any second and being fearless, really cool. And the fact that he now takes over the spot as the man on the wall, which used to be Nick Fury's job, uh, a story that uh, that's, comes from Original Sin, and now Bucky's taking over Winter Soldier, that's super fun. That that I found that very, very interesting. And then kind of a secret sleeper story that was under radars and I didn't expect to like, Squadron Supreme. They are pretty much doing their take on the Justice League, which was was kind of cool. Hyperion uh, is Superman. Nighthawk is Batman, obviously. Blur is the Flash. And, uh, yeah, I don't know the other two characters who they could be. I haven't really... F- oh, oh, no, Zarda is Wonder Woman. And then uh, there's that one last character that I'm not sure who they would be. I guess a Green Lantern character. Yeah, the last character would kind of be like a Green Lantern character. But all that said, those were that's the thing that comes out of these events. Anytime they do these major events, one of the best parts of them is always the sleeper stories that you don't expect to really get into. And I have to say, those were really, really solid. The the Kingpin, Squadron Supreme, Thunderbolt crossovers, and just those comics in general. Uh, a, a story that I didn't like, Uncanny Avengers, horrible. Didn't like the art, but that's my personal taste. But also, just the story was just bad. I don't. They they were trying to force something. They're trying to force this whole unity and equality and teaming up, and it it just sucked. It was just so bad. And the all new Avengers with uh, Sam Wilson's Captain America, uh, Iron Man, uh, New Thor, Miss Marvel, Spider Man, Nova, and Vision was kind of cl- clumsy. It kind of came across like. Just a poorly planned team that didn't really know what was going on. And the kids could tell that the adults didn't know what they were doing. So it was kind of just more of a letdown because it's essentially don't ever meet your heroes. And yeah, yeah, that was just unfortunate to see. So sorry, guys. I know, I know. I broke some of your hearts because some of you are diehard Marvel fans. And I'm a, uh, no, I'm not a diehard Marvel fan. I would never say I'm a diehard Marvel fan. I love Marvel. I love what they do. I think it's, uh, it's, better than what dc is doing in a lot of ways and not because dc is weak or poorly planned but dc is dc just didn't have that edge they were never the they were never the cool kids marvel was the cool kids with the x-men and all that jazz yeah you had your family team the fantastic four but at the end of the day you knew that marvel was gonna come up with something crazy and wild and and you liked it and you expected it and you were looking forward to it but nowadays everything's so corporate, and I don't I don't know if it's when Disney took over or that's just how they are now. But fingers crossed, it gets better. That's all I have to say, guys. We're gonna get to some messages real quick. Don't go anywhere. CJLO sixty ninety AM Doc Holiday solo, but I'm gonna have a guest in just a moment, so don't go anywhere. Don't miss the 18th edition of the Electra International Digital Art Festival from June 28th to 29th. Join us at the opening night. We are the robots at Uzin Sig. 49 audience members will be selected to be in the robotic Inferno performance, where their bodies will be controlled by machines to the rhythms of sounds and lights. Will you, will you dare, dare to be a robot, robot for just, just one, one night? night? For more information, go to electromontreal.ca. Check out Jay Nice and Lady Oracle in the limelight every Saturday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. for underground hip-hop and R&B right here on CJLO 1690 AM. Shut 
What's up, everybody? Geektastic Cypher here on CJLO 1690 AM, and we are on the line with our guest, Hilton George. Everybody, how are we today? Uh, well, I'm good. Uh, Montreal has finally gotten warmer. Uh, I don't know if you know much about Montreal, but we are uh, unfortunately hellishly cold city at times, and we are finally getting into the better weather, so... Oh, well, lucky you guys. It's not quite got too hot here, so it's uh, still good cosplay weather. Uh, yes, yeah. cosplay weather. Actually, that's smart. Yeah, at least here in this, I guess that's one of the reasons they moved our convention, because our convention used to be in September, and they actually moved it over to July, which now that you mentioned cosplay weather, that's a very good point. I wonder if that was one of the reasons they did that. Uh, the mystery unfolds. <laughs> Uh, so, Hilton, um, first off, I want to say it is an honor to get to speak to you, um, speak with you about the convention that you have, uh, you're cheering. And uh, I guess the first thing I should start with is explaining to people what a blurred is, because the convention itself is called BlurredCon, and I figure that's probably one of the most important things. Yeah. Um, for, for anybody who uh, uh, has, was a fan of the show uh, Scrubs, uh, that was real popular in the uh, 90s and 2000s. Uh, the first mass media iteration of the word blurred came from our favorite Dr. Turk. Oh, I didn't uh, even know that. Yeah, he was in the middle of a, of a scene where he was working with some technology. I think it was like a computerized camera or something along those lines. And he had referred to his cousin as the world's biggest blurred. <laughs> okay. And of course, all the, the white cast had the the multi, the pause face moment yeah and then he comes back and goes black nerd and i think that's when it was kind of introduced into the ether and of course it is you know for uh black nerds and you know nerds of color yeah and um it's slowly catching a hold uh and it's 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 not at, at its apex yet but it's starting to become more common as a way to describe the the ascendance of, uh, you know, you see black and brown faces becoming more prominent in comic books and video games and movies and television shows surrounding sci-fi, comic, uh, you know, even animated series. Yeah. And it's, it's becoming the term that uh, kind of defines the, the generation in a way. That's awesome. I mean, that's probably the best description. And also, I like the history lesson. I honestly did not know the the kind of pop culture connection to it scrub was a pretty popular show so i mean and uh and donald Faison, I, I i love that actor so the fact that he is in any way connected to that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well, for guest work for uh, the next next year bird 2018 oh yeah yeah but that's that oh man that'd be so cool <laughs> that'd be crazy um uh, so blurred the word the convention um how did it go from the idea of blurred uh, and what you felt it represented. Cause I mean, there's a lot of steps between understanding what the word means and then someone saying, you know what, I want to do a convention that reflects that terminology. How did that whole process get started? Where did that, where was the genesis of that? Well, I've, I've been a nerd and a geek my whole life, uh, you know, socially awkward, you know, into fantasy and sci-fi and video games and comic books uh, it literally defined my personality and my upbringing, you know, uh, and, um, you know, I took a, a weird hiatus from geek life after high school. Uh, I went into the military and then I went to college and girls started talking to me and I got cool <laughs> and I thought maybe it was something I outgrew. <laughs> my, blurred, my blurred DNA stayed, you know, so latent right there in my heart. And, uh, I ended up uh, becoming that guy, totally on my own, uh, who became a costumer. So if if you don't know this guy, everyone knows this person. There's someone in your crew or associated with your crew who for every Halloween goes a little too far above and beyond (laughs) for the casual office party or the little bar run that everybody wants to do at Halloween. And everyone else is going to Party City or, you know, a little Walmart the night before. And this guy's working for weeks and weeks putting something (laughs) crazy together. And someone hipped me and was at a big costume party and a guy hit me because he liked my costume and asked me if I cosplayed. And, you know, he started running off all of the conventions that are in the D.C. metro area. Oh, okay. Where 
cosplay was prevalent and it was a, a big part of the events where in my mind i thought it was san diego comic-con new york city comic-con and yeah. you know one two other things that was it yeah in 2014, I got full bore into cosplay, and I just went on a mad run. I was everywhere. I was in New York, New Jersey, Philly, Delaware, North Carolina, Virginia, Damn. Atlanta. I was con running. I was everywhere. You know, That's and I amazing. just started to see at the bigger cons, especially the diversity in the crowds. You know, in the attendee body of uh, of most any convention that you will see, yeah. uh, especially in and around a major metropolitan area. You see people of every age, every shape, every orientation, every color uh, that are bound by their fandom more than they are separated by the artificial lines of race, gender, orientation, etc. And and think about this. This does not exist anywhere else in society. I know. Anywhere else you go, the first thing that separate us are those artificially defined lines and the geek world is the only place that, that, you know, observably demonstrates the transcendence of that. Yeah. And I asked, I said, well, you know, for my own purposes, I asked, is there a convention that kind of celebrates this diversity and celebrates, you know, this, the, the obvious growing number of black nerds and geeks that are yeah. showing up at every con on the calendar, you know, even ones out in Indiana and Iowa and faraway places that, don't necessarily have or are not known for high diversity population. Yeah, yeah. And there weren't any of the scale and the size and the shape that we see in the traditional weekend con associated with a convention center or a hotel, a, a host hotel, you know, overnight type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, someone ought to do that. And yeah. <laughs> I have a background in events management and events production. Uh, I won't go into details, but. I was that guy at college. I was the low budget puff daddy who was always throwing <laughs> a party, always, you know, doing the shows, yeah. always had a flyer to hand people. That was me. And so I, I brought that experience uh, into it and I just started doing it. And it's, it's been just over two years in the making from inception to what will be execution on June 30th here at the Hyatt Crystal City in DC. Wow. That's an amazing story. Amazing story. Um, one of the first things that one of my friends asked me, and I guess you somewhat explained it, was uh, does the person who's organizing this feel the need for a blurred con because they feel there is underrepresentation of people of color, LGBT, uh, and, and all those communities um, at the major cons? Uh, not necessarily in the crowd, but more in the, the people that they bring to the conventions, the guests and the panels and so on. Absolutely. I think that is perfectly stated. You would see a level of diversity in the attendees Mm -hmm. that would not be reflected in the guest list, the vendors, the artists, the, the writers, the celebrities, the, you know, the performers that would not reflect that diversity. And I think what has happened is that, um, I mean, a lot of people who've been running various conventions, and these are comic cons, anime cons, gaming cons. You know, they grow up in their area, and they're surrounded by the people that they they know, either from college or high school, their neighborhood, you name it. And we're still a, a we're still more of a segregated society than we'd like to admit. Hmm. And so you're drawing upon the the collective personnel and collective creative DNA or, that are in the back offices of a convention and. You know, I don't know that every convention is equipped to take on a task like this Mm -hmm. uh, just because of the basic structure of how they've grown and how they've built and the direction they've taken for 10, 20, or even 30 years. So, yes, absolutely. And that has actually been one of the biggest challenges because, you know, the fans often make some of the demand of who comes as guests or who the cons select as cosplay, you know, features and performers, et cetera, et cetera. And if there aren't any, there aren't people that people know about right off the top of their head, me as a black nerd, I don't know that the director of The Adventures of Rick and Morty is black. Yeah, oh, I, did, I did not know that. When I saw that that guest, uh, oh, what's his name? I'm just totally drawing a blank because I just saw it. Oh, I'm on your Brian, Brian Newton. Yeah. Brian Newton, director of Rick and Morty, uh, 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 Teen Titans Go. You know, he's working on uh, Trolls 2. He's, you know, this guy is, a, is like a real creative 
you know, mover and shaker yeah. in, you know, the animated, you know, fandoms out here, and nobody knows. So we wouldn't even know to check that box or even to ask anyone to invite this guy. Yeah. And when I called him, you know, he said, you know, hey, no one has ever invited me to come to a convention. That's crazy. It just blew me away. That's crazy. <laughs> Exactly. That's so we're we're playing catch up. Yeah. So yeah. On one hand, we're we are uh we have this potential because the geek fandom does make this weird end run around the 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 the, the artificial lines of, of race and things like that to uh-huh. collect around fandoms. But because of that separation, we have not been driven to address issues of diversity and inclusion like other pockets of society has yeah so for instance gender you could say oh what about athletics and how has athletics dealt with gender well you could go back 15 years and go oh yeah title nine right they've had this discussion they are they have made moves to include more women uh and more women activities you know in collegiate athletics yada 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 yeah that has not happened in geek world it hasn't happened in gaming hasn't happened in cosplay hasn't happened in comics or sci-fi so we're we're we are we're in our bubble in a weird way, and we have not been forced to have some of the discussions that other pockets of society have been forced to have, and then have made certain strides forward that we have not. That's interesting. So yeah, the, that's, that's why we're we're talking about some things in the in the geek community that other aspects of society are not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the fans, because to us there's never been race or you just kind of looked at your fellow geek and said, well, we're geeks. You know, uh, do you watch the show blackish? Yes. So you saw the episode where junior, where the, where Andre is trying to explain the nod to him. And he realizes at the end that junior's nod is not to necessarily his fellow brothers in the community, the black community, but it's to his fellow brothers and sisters in the geek community. Right. And exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's just that interesting aspect of like, well, you know, there's no race. There's no like, you know, I'm a fan of Star Trek. And I I remember the first time I found out Michael Dorn was a was black. I was actually confused because my first reaction was just like, I've never thought of his race. (laughs) And that to me, like and it was it was both a good it was a double edged sword because my first initial thought was. Oh, I, I was extremely proud to see that a a black actor was Worf, but at the same time, I was kind of taken aback at the idea, like, oh, but now there's a race. Like in my head, it's like, oh, he's black, and I'll think of Worf as, <laughs> yeah. as I'll think of Worf as black. Whereas I've never thought of Worf as a black man before. He's always just been the Klingon, and that's it. Exactly. You, if yeah. someone were to ask you who he was, your your initial knee jerk reaction would to say he's Klingon. Yeah. You have to kind of like step outside of your own fandom and go, wait a minute, that's makeup. He's an actor. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah, that's right. He's black. And I think that that dynamic that you described is part of the magic, and it also has certain liabilities built into it. Mm-hmm. And and this is why the discussion has to be kind of forced because it is the bubble. It is. It, it is a, a world that is slightly, you know, a few degrees out of phase for yeah. the rest of society. <laughs> yeah. and so, for instance, with using the blackish, uh, you know, uh, a, a, uh, example. Yeah. When we get done playing Dungeons and Dragons, or we get done clicking off and logging off of, you know, our Gears of War online, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, Leroy Jenkins, and we're, we're done, right? <laughs> yeah. We have to step out into society where race is real and discrimination yeah. is real, and that reality is not something that a lot of the geek community has had to face and deal with within their own selective world. And so we end up stepping on a lot of of uh, what's the word I'm looking for. We end up making a lot of missteps, mm. and I think there's a lot of miscommunication. I think there's a lot of you know, what we call institutional racism yeah. that is almost subliminal even to the person who might be perpetrating it because it's just so systematic and it's, oh, I just thought that was the way things were. I didn't know that was a bad thing to say yeah. type of thing. And so what we have to do is try to, to, to bring some of those debates that are in the mainstream world into our world in, in such a way that they're teachable and they move the discussion forward. And that's delicate. Uh, but but the other issue with that 
is that we are bringing in more geek fans. So we're not in as much of a bubble now that we were 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, because Marvel's got movies, yeah. I'm not sitting in the middle of, of my class in, in middle school trying to explain the hammer of Thor <laughs> to true. people who, who don't understand comic books. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the weird one now. Everyone went to see the movie. Everyone loves Thor. And, and I just happen to be the guru who can talk behind the scenes and yes. go really, really deep. So you're bringing in people now who aren't living and breathing and weren't raised and weaned on geekdom yeah. into our world who are bringing with them the, hey, you know what, I'm, you know, I deal with, with blatant racism or blatant sexism or blatant homophobia every day of the week. And so I'm sensitive to this, maybe in some ways that, 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 you might not be because you you've kind of had this cocoon, if you will, yeah. of the, the five or ten really close friends that share your fandom in every way that you kind of you kind of been sticking with for a while. Yeah. So it's it's a wider world now, and where there's more people and a more diverse crowd, you know, amongst the diversity within the geek group, it can be uh, it can be a little bit more uh, important to yeah. to focus on these issues. Is there and I, I only just thought of this now. Is there a slight concern with losing the innocence of the fact that it's the the geekdom that we are part of is sometimes an escape from that? Um, or is there, uh, or are you more saying that it's important, even if we're innocent about it, it's important to at least acknowledge it so that we are prepared for a world like that? Uh, I say yes to both of those, mm-hmm. and and one of the things I wanted to make sure we did at BlurCon and did not do at BlurCon was, one, we wanted to have representation, we wanted to have exposure, and we wanted to have a safe space, mm-hmm. but we also wanted to make sure that we created a space where those discussions and those interactions can happen in a... Uh, in a positive setting. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, we have got and you've probably had a chance to look at our guest list, we've got such a diverse guest list. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like literally we check boxes, but we we have every box pretty much checked in yeah. a way. And there are workshops and there are panels and there are going to be activities and things that people are going to see where someone's going to be on, on the mic at the dais doing a presentation or a part of a panel where their gender or their race or their ability or disability, their, uh, you know, uh, their ethnicity, their religion yeah. are not the subject. They just happen to be a Sikh. You know, you yeah, see a brown person in a Sikh head wrap talking about drawing cartoons. And that's all that panel is about. But that alone can move the ball forward and, 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 and open up people's minds and, and invite you know, a more comfortable discussion than having a con where everything is, you know, we've got a crisis, people. We yeah, yeah. Yeah, so as long as it's fun and as long as we're true to the fandom and as long as people are getting those, the things that they want out of any convention uh, and some things that they didn't even know they wanted out of a convention, they're going to have a good time and it's going to be a positive experience for everyone. Uh, you brought up some of the, pa- you brought up panels. And I, I've been looking through the list of panels, and I wanted to ask you about some of them. Uh, I didn't know if um, I don't know. Like I guess as chairperson, you know most of them. But as I, I know some people who run conventions, I know they don't know every single panel because trying to keep track of every single panel while they're also trying to run the convention itself can get a little overwhelming. Are there some that specifically you want to tell people? Like these are key panels that that will help you understand geekdom fandom through the eyes of a diverse group of people? Uh, absolutely. You know, I, when I incepted the idea of BlurredCon, the, the thing that I wanted to stick with is that while my, because I'm running the convention and I'm the founder of the convention, there's mm-hmm. going to be thumbprints of mine everywhere. Mm. I wanted it to be grassroots and I wanted it to be organic. And so the, what I had in my mind of what the perfect BlurCon would be from two years ago at the exception phase, yeah. I had to accept the fact that that might not be what actually shows up on, on stage on the day of mm-hmm. and have to accept that that's the direction of where the fandom is. Yeah. So I'm looking at it. I try to look at the convention from the perspective of someone who wants to attend 
And so the fans, uh, excuse me, the panels that I'm looking at, uh, like I'm really excited for the Black Triples. Uh, I don't know if you're, you know them, but they have a podcast. They're really big in the Philadelphia area. Uh, and they have a panel uh, called Into Blackness that is a Star Trek panel. Oh, that it's a it's a pre- it's a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, reportedly, I, I wasn't there, but I, that's my fault. Uh, <laughs> they were at the Star Trek convention in New York City last year, and they basically shut down the convention with it. It was it's this this deep uh, descriptive walk through the themes and the the canon and the 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 history of Star Trek and the parallels between that and black society and you know what we're doing here today uh through the eyes of you know a set of african-american geeks yeah. men and women of different ages i mean i i, I just sharing that and i'm just like oh that's gonna be so awesome yeah. i just saw one of the lines as fathers how would Worf or cisco react to what happened to trayvon martin could jordy yeah. laforge tolerate the effects of the water crisis in flint uh uhura what would she think of the mysterious death of sandra bland like those are some very heavy things but those are some very interesting questions and because you're putting them in the context of this very rich star trek history and fandom Mm -hmm. it it kind of i don't want to say softens the blow but it Mm -hmm. it um, it keeps people from that puckering and that clinching that happens in a lot of cases when we end up discussing sensitive subjects mm-hmm. because everybody wants to talk about Jordy LaForge and everybody wants to talk about Worf and everybody, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. if if you kind of have that little, what they say, a spoonful of sugar yes. helps the medicine go down, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that that little thing of like, hey, we're going to talk about this really cool character in Star Trek, but then we're also going to talk about how, you know, we're going to bring it to something that's a little sensitive and then, you know, wrap it, you know, wrap it up to kind of help you learn and help you interpret and digest uh, what uh, what's going on. And I think that's a perfect example of creating that bridge between some of these issues that lay outside of the geek bubble that we sometimes put ourselves in mm-hmm. and the fandom and the, the, the geekdom that we love. And doing that kind of a thing, I think, is going to help move the ball forward in ways that just a blatant, direct discussion about race might not be as effective. Another one... Um, we have a, uh, a featured cosplayer by the name of Ron Seaman, and I don't know if this one is even, it should be on the panels list, but it's brand new. He is uh, going to be doing a, a featurette. He is a, uh, an African-American cosplayer mm-hmm. uh, who is uh, a, a prior Army service man. veteran, mm-hmm. you know, one of our, our heroes in uniform, who is uh, bound to a wheelchair. And he is going to be talking about how his introduction into cosplay and crafting and, you know, just his fan status and loving video games helped, you know, him with his rehab, helped him with his post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and it's just been an engine that has kept his, his energy and his life moving forward, you know, even though, you know, now he's bound to a wheelchair, which, you know, a lot of folks don't ever fully recover from emotionally, mm-hmm. psychologically, yeah. especially somebody who's like, you know, a, a trooper like him who's like super active and, and out doing stuff, you know. And so he's going to be talking about, you know, some of the, the, the healing effects and some of the, the positive aspects around stuff that we do and don't necessarily, you know, consider uh, in the crafting of our cosplay. And I think that is going to create that bridge between, you know, talking about people with disabilities and people who have physical or, or even, you know, unseen uh, emotional or, or mm-hmm. mental challenges who are in our community that we're not necessarily sure of how to interact with. Yeah. And while his panel is going to focus on on that, he's also an African-American male. And, you know, he may decide to touch on that. He may not. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that's where you get that, that, that's where representation comes into place, where, hey, if I'm a black person on a stage talking about crafting Warbla, don't necessarily have to talk about being black. It might just be enough yeah. in this particular case. Hey, there's a black guy up there talking about <laughs> not the only one. I thought I was the only one. I'm the only one I knew. Yeah. There's yeah. A- so, hey, that's great. And sometimes that's enough. And there's, some, there's a lot of panels like that. There's a lot of workshops like that that uh, I think people are really going to be excited about. Uh, you know, and then, of course, we have our guests that are going to just be able to bring their knowledge. You know, Brian Newton is going to talk about Rick and Morty. 
Uh, Carl Jones is going to talk about Black Dynamite and uh, the Boondocks, awesome. yeah. which you know, everybody loves. And, you know, it's going to be amazing to watch that that transpire. And then there's the music. We've got music as a, as a, as a feature here as well. So the, are you a fan of the Boondocks? Yes, yes. And I, I, I did have uh, both the mixtapes. The original okay. mixtapes that so came out. So that's what you got. So we've got, not only do we have Carl Jones, you know, who is one of the co-creators, co-executive producers of the Boondocks and creator of Black Dynamite. Yeah. We have the rapper and rap group that actually did the opening theme to the Boondocks performing at BlurCon. So that's going to be really oh. cool. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> you know, like, like, oh my God, that's my song. You know, so I really... It's not a panel, it's a performance, at least in this case, but that's one I would definitely say is going to be amazing, because even if you don't know Idu Bushido, which is the name of the group, yeah. which is Aru, uh, Substantial, and Asu, uh, those guys are going to be playing music and songs that you you heard, but you didn't know you heard, and knew, but you didn't know you knew, and loved, <laughs> but didn't know you loved. Exactly. And it turned the whole place out, so there's going to be a lot of that kind of stuff going on, too. That's amazing. That I mean, every I mean, looking through all the panels, every single one is something I, I would personally love to attend. Um, I think some of the ones that I found the most interesting, um, being being better fans when enthusiasm becomes entitlement. Uh, ever since I heard about some of the the fandom issues surrounding um, Steven's universe, where pe- some fans were a little too controlling with their fandom you know they felt like they owned the characters and they would even sometimes attack the creator uh i always thought those were kind of weird ideas because when it comes to something inclusive like steven's universe where it it, i I know people can latch on really hard to something when they feel it represents them makes sense because there's a lot of times in my life where i watch tv shows and i didn't feel like anything on the show represented something i could connect to so steven universe is one of those shows where there's a you know you know once again not to use it but you know it checks a lot of boxes there's a lot of representation on the show and but sometimes the fans can be a little little aggressive with their fandom and like something like this i feel like that it's an important discussion to be had to to, for people to understand that you can be a fan you can love the character you can relate to the character uh, you can cosplay as a character. You can fanfic as a, uh, for the characters. You can do all of that, but don't necessarily become aggressive or, like you said, entitled. It's in the title, entitled when it comes to the character, because that in itself might scare off other creative people who might want to touch on some of these subjects that we, as fans, may find important. Absolutely, and we a lot of this in the manga and especially mangas that go to anime, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you've got this camp that's like, I read the manga. Oh, I'm yeah. not, not even going to sully my, <laughs> yeah. my, my fandom by watching the anime because I know it's not going to be faithful. Yeah. Or it's by grumbling behind you in the, in the row behind you as you're watching the Avengers as they you know, argue about what you know, the Mind Stone is supposed to do, yeah, yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe versus the Marvel Comic Book Universe and why this whole movie is BS because <laughs> you know, you're blah, blah, blah. And you're like, dude, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> and they could just suspend some of that. You know, it's like, so you, you see that across the board. I mean, yeah. you know, of course, the Steven Universe fandom, they are really yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and sometimes rabid fans. Yeah. And, and and when it does get so bad that you are uh, trying to uh, control the creative process yeah. of the of the actual yeah. you know uh, 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 fans uh, I mean of the actual cartoon yeah. then you're you're overstepping your bounds because you feel like you need to control the story because you feel like the story is yours and these characters belong to you but we see it at lower levels across the board I mean like I said you know you you see people who are uh, Star Wars fans yeah. Well, oh, oh, very quick, no, very quick. One, you know, because it's not. Oh, Hilton, you know, sorry, very quick. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? I know people do it, but I had to ask because you brought up Star Wars. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one because, believe it or not, my dad is a huge Star Trek fan. Okay. I, I have to. I have to give it to Star Wars. Oh. Mainly okay. because it is, for me, it is it is imprinted on my DNA because I had the physical experience of going to all of the uh, original three movies in the theater, and okay. you know that experience That's of standing fair. in line and and you know when the 
you know, you, I mean, you really live through it. And the, you have to, if you didn't live through Star Trek, so if you weren't in the 60s or the early 70s when it had its two-year run yeah. on five-year mission, and then they, you, you didn't get that, that underground period where it just kind of went underground for a while and then kind of bubbled back up on the movies and yeah. out in the cartoons and all that. If you didn't live through that, you had to kind of catch up. And I was one of those people that had to catch up. And I was always a fan of the movies, and I was always a fan of the characters, uh, but it wasn't the same experience, and it—it I, I, it sounds to me like Star Trek is your is your fandom. Am I am I feeling yeah, you right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a trek. I'm a trekker. I've uh, yeah. ever since I was a kid watching it with my mom and dad and my little sister. Um, just you know, see my my sister has Down syndrome, and and you know when you're when you're a kid and you see how people can act and sometimes be mean and cruel, and then you watch a TV show your whole life where. You know, someone like Jordy LaForge or anyone who's different is often accepted. And the whole mission of these these humans on the ship is to try and be as inclusive as possible. And, you know, obviously they're flawed. They make mistakes and it happens. But the the general gist of the show was we are trying we are all trying to be equal. Um, something like that resonated a lot with me. So, yeah, I'm a tracker. But I mean, Star Wars does a pretty good job, too, with stuff like that. Well, Star Wars. What Star Wars did, and I know we're getting into the weeds for the, for the listeners, but this, what Star Wars did that caught me and a lot of people who were caught by Star Wars is that they came out in the cinemas in a theater with not just you know the the, the canon and the and the lore and the mythology that they were building around you know this this universe that they created, this reality they created. Yeah, is that came out strong. They came out correct, and they they broke so many grounds on so many levels with that movie that the fandom was instant and it was permanent. Yeah. Flip that over to Star Trek, whose first cinematic run was not so widely accepted. I know, yeah. The first, uh, yeah, the 70-something? The 2001-ish, you know, type of thing that people weren't, the fans weren't quite ready for, couldn't really sink their teeth into. And it wasn't until Wrath of Khan that people were like, Wow. Yeah. Yeah, true. Talking about. I get it now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. Wrath of Khan was very much a reinvention because from the first one where you could see what they were trying to do, but it just kind of fell a little short to Wrath of Khan where if you were an original fan, they were throwing it back for you and at the same time, you know, you have the you have the major Spock scene, Spock and, and Kirk and they just kind of put all the pieces together that would make it a very powerful space opera. And absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah so many, so uh, yeah. There's a lot of panels. It's going to be an amazing event. Um, I just want you to. Can you tell people where they can get all the information? Because when I I, I got to go to a break, but when I come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the diversity and pop culture that we're seeing you know, television and so on and so forth. So before we get to that, where can everyone get everything about BlurredCon? I would say the website is your one-stop shop because you've got everything on how to get your tickets, your badges. That's www.blurredcon.com. That's B-L-E-R-D-C-O-N, mm-hmm. as in Nancy, dot com. And you've got everything on how to get your hotels and how to get your badges and, and everything like that. But also subscribe to our social media our fan, our fan page on uh, uh, Facebook, our group and event on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, BlurredCon DC on Twitter, BlurredCon on uh, Instagram. We, a lot of the up-to-date, immediate notifications and stuff like that go out there where as well. So social media and the website, and you got us. That's everything. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We're going to get to the messages real quick, and then we'll come back, and you and I will talk a little bit about some uh, pop culture stuff. So don't go anywhere. Yeah. Don't go anywhere, fans. We'll be right back. A condensed history of the severed heads. 1962, Tom Allard is born. 1977, buys TRS-80 personal computer, meets Andrew Wright, forms Mr. and Mrs. No Smoking Sign. 1979, changed their name to severed heads before sending tapes to radio stations because it sounds less stupid. 1980, Stephen R. Jones performs with them featuring live video synthesis. 1983, signed to Ink Records, Dead Eyes Open gets club play. 1984, City Slab Horror recorded. 1986, Come Visit the Big Bigot World Tour. More tours, lineup changes, 1999 to 2003, Severed Heads declared dead. 2011, signed a contract with Gary Newman saying they will only tour one more time. 
loophole found in contract. 2017, June 14th, 9 p.m., La Sala Rossa, Montreal. Severed Heads perform with Un, Rhythmic Cruelty, and Radio Void as part of Suoni Per El Popolo, co-presented by my show, Horizontal Radio. By the way, this song is called FM Stations Blow Up. Tom Allard totally loves AM radio. We're back. CJLO 1690 AM here in Montreal. Geektastic Cypher with Doc Holiday and on the line, Hilton George. Hello. So, Hilton, uh, I mentioned it to you when we were talking before we were going to do the show, and I, I think I posted it, uh, Cough, Cough, Marvel Diversity. Uh, I always want to get the perspective of people that I feel understand geek culture and also the perspective of someone who's working hard to make diversity an important aspect of geek culture. Something like what happened with Marvel's attempt at diversity. Um, where do you think Marvel may have gone wrong? Or where do you think, not even just Marvel, I should say, where do you think a lot of the corporate companies that are doing the creation have gone wrong with their attempts at diversity? Well, I think you said the key word, creation. They mm. took creation out of the equation. Mm. And instead of doing two things, what they should have done is capitalize on the diversity they already have, even if it's not that many right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Characters and storylines and stuff like that, and push those forward. And then create, capital C, create new stories, new characters, and develop that way. I think what Marvel and and other comics uh, have done that that was, it was counterintuitive in a way, Mm -hmm. because it hurt the, 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 the fandoms by taking some of the characters that, that, were identified by their gender and identified by their race and and just ham-handedly in some cases turning them, you know, into like literally turning Thor into a woman. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's not what the market was asking for. (laughs) There are enough enough females, enough fighting females in Asgard that could get a a profile, that could get a a side comic series or a graphic novel or something that you could push without saying, oh, we want diversity? Well, let's just turn the knob on a couple of these characters. (laughs) Boom, you have it. And that's not what what, what people want. People felt like they were losing something. Mm. And this is not just saying that white fans felt that that, some of their characters turning black was automatically a bad thing. No, no. Anyone batted an eye when... When, uh, you know, uh, Miles, uh, hello. Yeah. Miles Morales. Uh, well, Miles Morales, you kind of have the different universes to kind of, oh, yeah. 16, 10, yeah. Sam Jackson with Nick Fury. Oh yes. Okay. Pretty dust about that because everyone loves Sam Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. With Sam Jackson, you know? <laughs> so, but at some, at some point you have to say, you know, let's, let's have, and this is another thing that I think that they didn't do right is that they were focusing on the comic book characters and the comic book storylines as the place to enact change without bringing in people of color and people of diverse backgrounds, women, members of the LGBTQ community to come in and write and do the art and and be a part of the storytelling process, both for the existing storylines that they chose to tell and even some of the ones they decided to create. And it felt artificial. Yeah. And I think that's what turned some people off to it. Uh, I think people applauded the gesture in the abstract. Yeah. But, but I'm not going to go in there buying all these comics anymore because these are not the characters that I was following. And you just took this artificial turn because you're trying to, you know, catch up or, or keep up or whatever. Yeah. I think that's where they, I think that's where the, the bad way to do it. That's the, that's a case <laughs> study in that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I, I, I mean, one of the things that I've been, I've been saying from day one for a lot of stuff, and I, I think I have this debate the most whenever my friends uh, bring up Idris Elba playing Bond, um, and I always explain to them, I don't want Idris Elba to play Bond, not because Bond can't be a black man, but because there's so much more to the, the Bond universe than Bond. Like, you can't, he's not the only spy in the world. 
So there's no reason to only focus on one guy named James Bond. You could create an entire universe around the Bond universe. I mean, they're yep. doing it everywhere else. You, you have the Marvel universe. You have the Transformers universe that they want to build up. They're they're now going to do Universal's going to do their dark the uh, the dark universe with the Mummy and 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 uh, vampires and and uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Invisible Man. Like the they create universes all the time. So why? Why do we need Bond to be black when we could just have him play any other spy and build up those characters? Yeah. Um, We're talking about Idris Elba. He could play a bucket of paint and sell it. There's no no reason why you should try to, 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 to bend and snap and fold this guy into this, into this origami to to fit him in this box. That's a good point. I'm sure he would have been great playing it and sure. it would have been enjoyable to watch. Yeah. It's still a missed opportunity to tell a story that has all the same excitement and all the same storylines and all the same things you love about Bond, but maybe make it Bond adjacent. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. 006. Yeah. It was 008. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that. I've been saying that. Um, and what are your? your th- oh, I mean, I, we only got two more minutes, so I'll make it super quick. Uh, they they used to say you couldn't ma- you couldn't have female leads and you couldn't have black leads, and now we have Finn. We have John Boyega in Star Wars. We have uh, Gal Gadot. Uh, we have all these people creating these characters. How, how does it feel? What do you? What do you, What are your thoughts on that? What I like is that geek and nerd ascendancy has been happening over the past 10, 15 years. Mm. And it's good to see that the studios and the publishers are starting. And I mean, and I'm lowercase s starting yeah. to see <laughs> the efficacy of telling these stories. And I, and, I, and I always tell the Luke Cage example as the example. You know, because Luke Cage came on Netflix and Netflix shut down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and you know, every time I say this to a more when there's more than five black people in the room, they go, "Yeah, we did it." I'm like, <laughs> "No." <laughs> White people shut it down. Black people shut it down. Brown people shut it down. Old people shut it down. My father beat me to to. Oh wow. Yeah, because I got locked out. I got crappy internet, and he was like, "You know, you need to see this Luke Cage thing." I'm like, "I'm trying." Fuck <laughs> off. You know, <laughs> I get a chance to watch. You know, so. The, the studios saw in the example of Luke Cage a majority black cast. Yeah. You, majority in a black city in yeah. New York. Yeah. And a story told using black music and a and even, you know, hearkening back to the black exploitation movies of the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. where you have this viable, sexualized, you know, protagonist superhero anti-hero, whatever you want to call him, you know, being comfortable living and breathing in this universe that was created for that series that everybody loved. And I'm hoping that that same type of boldness is, is, is present when they do Black Panther. Yeah. That they embrace this fictional country yeah. in the heart of Africa, but, you know, made up of very true and very authentic fragments of african culture that will be in that movie yes and if they go at it the way that that they did with luke cage i'm hoping it'll there will be a tipping point where there won't be anybody in hollywood saying well we can't cast a, a native american or we can't cast any actual black people in a movie about egypt or you know <laughs> we you know if we hit that point i think a lot of this 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 the lag in hollywood will catch up with with what's really happening in the world and of course the fandom you know if you're doing it right and you're you're making good good product they will come we'll follow you yep yeah dude that that's the end of the show i think you, that that's the perfect point to end on you, you you hit the nail right on the head i want to thank you so very much for spending the time and talking to me today once again it was an honor to speak to you i, I mean i really think what you're trying to do and what you are doing is very important um, to all the geeks out there. So if, if anyone in Montreal is interested in going June 30th to July 2nd, Hyatt Crystal City, Arlington, Virginia, uh, BlurredCon is happening. It's BlurredCon.com, B-L-E-R-D-C-O-N.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Honor mine, my friend, and I appreciate it. Thanks to your fans, and we're looking forward to a great event. Awesome. Take care, man. You too. And uh, for all you guys that tuned in, I just want to thank you for tuning in 